Section 18 of The Heirloom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Heirloom by T. Duthy Lyle. Volume 2, Chapter 4 The Ghostly Midnight Form. As this prince among detectives held the photograph which we have described in the foregoing chapter in his hand, he for a moment closed his eyes as if to shut out from both his sight and thoughts all remembrance of the repellent thing, of an art so beautiful, subverted and applied to so foul a use. An audible, ugh, escaped Colonel Vandermeulen's lips, as he threw the picture away, face downwards on the pile of papers which lay on his table before him. Hardly had the ejaculation of disgust escaped his lips, when it seemed, almost rather by instinct than by sense, his sharp ear seemed to detect a sound. It was like the presence of a footstep falling lightly, almost stealthily, upon the lowest step of the many stairs which led to the little office occupied by the Prince of Police from Battery Park and the street beneath. No movement seemed to escape the keen vigilance of his acute sense. For a long minute or two he listened intently, all his faculties on the alert, listened, as we say, with all his ears. Step by step, with the same stealthy, hesitating cat-like tread, it seemed to mount higher and higher and seemed to approach up the creaking and rather rickety stairs, nearer and nearer to where he sat. The detective as noiselessly reached forth his hand and drew quietly open the right-hand drawer of his little office table. There lay his six-shooter, ready for instant use, for it was not one of the old soldier's failings to be overtaken by an enemy in a surprise. He was too old a veteran for that and then it was evident to the solitary occupant of the little den that someone stood immediately outside his office door. Upon it, the words, Manhattan Detective Agency, were painted. The letters must have been invisible now, although they were quite large enough for anyone to read in the narrow entrance when favored by the light of day. Then an interval followed of suspense, there was a dead silence in which Colonel Vandermeulen awaited the further development of events. Then there was a stealthy, creaking sound, then a pause. At length came a knocking, quiet, stealthy, and subdued to break the spell, and the next moment Colonel Vandermeulen invited into his presence his would-be visitor at so unusual an hour. Unusual, that is, so far as any hours were unusual to a person of Colonel Vandermeulen's habits who, whether by day or by night, ever sought his quarry when it might be found. Then at the colonel's invitation, a tall, dark, robed figure stepped silently with the same cat-like tread into his little room. As the newcomer entered, he saluted with some show of politeness, while Colonel Vandermeulen seemed to nail on to him instantly his keen, penetrating, searching glance, 
as with much less of ceremony or politeness, he returned the stranger's salute. Have I, then, the honor of meeting at last in person Colonel Heinrich Vandermeulen, the most distinguished detective officer of the United States? The visitor asked. He looked a tall man, tall almost to stateliness, but enveloped in a long, dark surtout or cloak, so carefully drawn about him that but little of his real personal figure could be seen. Well, yes, stranger, if you will. Colonel Heinrich Vandermeulen. I guess that's me right enough, and I thank you for the compliment. Although at present you have the advantage, and I'd like to know whom I'm indebted for the honor of a visit at this hour. For what by reason of a broad-brimmed, drab-colored hat, something after the style of Yankee land, or of the sombrero typical of the cowboys and hunters of the western ranches and prairies, and the wide collar of their surtout which was turned up to its fullest extent, only a very small portion of the visitor's face was to be seen. What there was visible seemed to the attentive searching eye of the detective to look sickly and pale, almost deathly in its pallor and in its sunken and emaciated lines. I am come to see you on business, important business, important perhaps to us both, both to you and to me, continued the mysterious visitant in cold, hard tones, which, notwithstanding his experience and habitual temerity, seemed to thrill Vandermeulen to the bone. By a slight bend of the head, Colonel Vandermeulen motioned his visitor to proceed. But the detective thought not then just of how great an astonishment there was in store for him, or of how great a shock he was to endure. Yet there was a fascination about the mysterious presence of the man before him, a fascination which he was unable to mentally explain to himself or to comprehend. He seemed unable, nevertheless, to unfix his eyes from the tall, cloaked figure which riveted his attention as if by some supernatural spell. Then there was a pause, a silence uninterrupted by either the one or the other of the two men, an almost awkward pause. At length again, the visitor was the first to speak. From the ample, voluminous folds of the great surtout which covered him, he drew what the detective saw was a copy of the New York Herald, in its place and generation the leading journal of its time, while with his left hand he pointed to an advertisement, one among the many in that unique column of journalism headed Personal in the best-known daily of New York. I should say that advertisement emanates from this office, or from you, Colonel Vandermeulen. Is that so? Colonel Vandermeulen took the paper for a minute from the long white hand which held it and carefully glanced the advertisement through. And this is what he read. $5,000 reward. Whereas on the nth day of August, 18, in the parish of, in Shire, England, at his residence known as Vernwood, but formerly of Millbank, 
County, Virginia, USA, there died Bertram Honor Gonald. And whereas the said Bertram Honor Gonald died intestate, this is to notify that the above reward of $5,000 in United States currency, or 2,083 pounds sterling, will be paid to any person or persons who shall give such information as shall lead to the discovery and identification, if living, of his heir or heirs. And furthermore, whereas the aforenamed Bertram Honor Gonnell met his death through violence, a farther and larger reward will be paid to any person or persons who, not being the actual perpetrator of any crime whereby the said Bertram Honor Gonnell met his death, shall give such information as shall lead to a knowledge of the circumstances thereof. Any notification, which will be treated in the strictest confidence, may be made by mail or otherwise to Messrs. Wyndham and Lumley, Solicitors, Number Street, Lincoln's Inn Fields, London, England, or to Colonel Heinrich van der Mullen, Number Street, Battery Park, New York City, USA. Yes, sir, that is so, Colonel Vandermeulen replied shortly as he handed the copy of the Herald back to the man. Can you give me the information which I seek? The colonel's visitor laughed a long, low, hollow, gurgling laugh, a laugh almost sardonic in the hollow mockery of its tone. Self-controlled as he ever was, Colonel Vandermeulen's blood began to warm to anger heat. The information, Colonel? I might, or I mightn't give it to you. The information. I, I could, or I can, or rather I could if I would, replied the other in the same hollow tone. There seemed to be within the man as he spoke a heartless, careless mockery, which was to Colonel Vandermeulen irritating in the extreme. But thank you, my Colonel, he continued, that five thousand dollars reward would tempt me to unfold to you for your convenience the mystery which surrounds the life as well as the death. Shall I say the life? I, yes, the life too, which you seek to elucidate, and for your own profit to explain? For clever as you are, Colonel Vandermeulen, I can tell you that a mystery hangs about it, which, without my aid, even you with all your cleverness, with all your experience, with all your wit, with all your insight into human life and human action, and human death too, shall fail to unravel or reveal. Say, years ago you knew Bertram Honor Gonald in the flesh. Was it not so? Colonel Vandermeulen nodded assent. And now, sir, you seek, with large offers of reward, both were either his murderers or his heirs. See here, Colonel Vandermeulen, Look at me as I stand before you tonight. Do I stand before you in the spirit or in the flesh? With a flourish almost theatrical in its suddenness and its air, 
at one movement the speaker, as he finished, threw open the front of the long, dark surtout, and with the other hand, he removed the broad-brimmed slouched sombrero by which his countenance was hid. And there stood before the dazed and astounded detective the unmistakable, lifelike apparition of Bertram Honor Gonholt. It was the self-same personality upon whose photograph five minutes before he had looked as he thought in death. There he stood, or there it stood, unmistakable in features. The long, thin hands, the finger encircled by the gold and sapphire ring, the pallid, emaciated, sunken cheek, the right side still scarred by a cicatrice long-heeled, the same well-waxed and turned-up mustaches, the same mocking, sardonic, Mephistophelian laugh, all had been reproduced in the photograph of death as truly as photography could reproduce them, for photography cannot lie. The telltale camera must entrap and reproduce the effects of light as surely as the sun produces day. But here, was the apparition a merely optical reproduction of the picture on which he had so intently dwelt? Or was it truly that the photograph was what he believed it to be, a reproduction of the likeness of death? Well might this visitor ask, Do I stand before you in the spirit or in the flesh? None of the common everyday occurrences of life were wont to unhinge the habitual coolness of Colonel Vandermeulen's mind. But as he stood there far in the night, before, in the presence of a form which began to assume an uncanny aspect in his eyes, his usually sallow, ashy countenance blanched and whitened to the livid hue of death, his eyes assumed a wild, terrified expression. For once at least in his life, Colonel Vandermeulen, the arch-detective, the grand army man, the ex-soldier who had stood firm and undaunted and unwavering under heavy fire in many a charge, glanced nervously around the little office to assure himself that he might believe in his own senses and his own eyes, and almost in the vain hope of discovering some way of retreat from the apparently ghostly supernatural presence before his eyes. But the tall, pale figure hat in hand, the surtout thrown back, displaying a naked, sinewy throat, stood there, stood mysterious and erect, barring all way of exit and escape betwixt him and the door. For once at least in his life, the power of articulation forsook the gallant colonel's tongue. His knees trembled beneath him, there was a creepy, unhealthy feeling in the very air. Each stood gazing at the other, the mysterious visitor with dark, deep, languishing, almost poetic eyes. Speak, Colonel Vandermeulen, he at length continued. Speak, tell me what you desire. Have I not known you many a year? Ha, ha, I see... I see your wits seem to fail you, he added in the same hollow, mocking tone. 
Is that not so? Look you here, old friend. You know where the arched bridge of natural rockery spans the highway which crosses Central Park? If every other clue should fail you, said he in the same irritating, mocking tone, which it surely will, nay, as surely as the sun will fail to illuminate the night. Meet me there in one month from this hour. We shall at least be pretty free from interruption there and then. Maybe, if you don't in the meantime find that which you seek, maybe I can tell you something you may like to know, which I know well enough without my aid you cannot find. Till then, Colonel Heinrich van der Mulen. Au revoir, au revoir. We shall doubtless meet again. Adieu, adieu. With a wave of his long and thin white hand, on which there sparkled in the gaslight the sapphire gem, the strange visitor, as suddenly as he had disclosed his striking personality, drew again about him with a theatrical-like movement, the thick, dark surtout and covered, I may say concealed, his face beneath the shadow of the broad sombrero. And a moment later, the office door had closed behind him with a bang, and he was gone. And the detective seemed to breathe more freely, as if his little office was relieved of the presence of some uncanny thing. Colonel Vandermulen listened for the sound of the receding footsteps of his visitor down the old stairs. But he listened in vain. There was no more sound of footsteps than as if some ghostly visitant trod the thin light air. A perfect silence seemed to reign. The detective for a moment stood dazed, transfixed, as it were, to the floor on which he stood. And suddenly, it seemed with the quickness of a thought, he recovered himself. Like a flash of intuition, his habitual presence of mind returned. Promptness of action was one of Colonel Vandermeulen's points. To his promptitude, to his faculty of decided action, he thought he owed the phenomenal success to which he achieved in his adopted calling since he came to New York a poor man at the conclusion of the war. Moreover, Colonel Vandermeulen, although he believed in strange occurrences, had very little faith in the existence or supernatural appearances of ghosts. The mystery visitor had not left Colonel Vandermeulen's presence so much as thirty seconds ere he had recovered his normal state of mind. One stride brought him to his desk before which we have pictured him sitting ere the mysterious visitant arrived. With a hard, quick blow of his hand, he struck a hand gong which stood on his table. The bell rang out with a clear, silvery, musical sound, while in the same instant he blew a sharp, short, shrill whistle. Almost simultaneously with a double summons of emergency, well nigh as silently as his last visitor had departed, a little wizened-faced man glided into Colonel Vandermeulen's little room. Shadow that man, was the curt order that the colonel gave. And if you sent him home, 
there'll be a hundred dollars added to your pay. You saw. Long, heavy black cloak, face covered with a broad hat. Sharp. Right, boss. A significant nod of comprehension and assent was all the answer that was given to the order. And the little wizen-faced man was gone. End of chapter 18 Read by Paul Hampton